0: Friends, for the next uh, four weeks, um, you're going to hear a testimony at the time, uh, beginning of the message time, from one of our own. One of our own who's kind of living into the theme of these next four weeks, which is don't let go. Someone for whom this church has helped hold on, and someone who helps reach out to others. The first testimony of our new series here together comes from someone that's hard to believe. She's only been here a little longer than I have. Because we can't imagine, I don't think, life at Redford Aldersgate right now without John or Maggie Egenberger involved in it. And yet they've only been attending this church for a little over a year. In that year, Maggie's... uh, got involved in teaching our Sunday school. There isn't a uh, um, dinner or luncheon where she isn't working in that kitchen. She makes the snacks out there for uh, new people to come. And when I ask her, why, Maggie, do you serve with such a generous and open heart? And she says, well, that's just the way this church treated me when I showed up. And I think it's best if I just pay that forward. So it's with great pleasure that I introduce to you someone who's Really, a friend, a daughter of this congregation, and a leader with her servant heart, our good friend Maggie Egenberger. Would you welcome her to come on up? We had to pull her out of Sunday school to do this, so you can do wherever you want to stand, you bet.
1: Good morning. You guys, I am very, very nervous, so please be patient with me. Um, We started, before we started coming to church, Sunday mornings were our mornings to sleep in, and now Sunday mornings are the one day a week our whole family wakes up happy and excited. Even the boys wake up saying, Mommy, is today church? Yay! Um, People from my work cannot believe that we have only been here about a year and a half because they say all you talk about is my church my church and that's because I try to invite everyone to our church I believe everyone should experience the love friendship and the sense of belonging our family has seen and felt since we walked through those doors for the first time for that we would like to say thank you we love you all Um, this church is our family and our love thank you very much It
0: wasn't too short. You did great. (laughs) Friends, as I told you, um, you know, John's headed uh, back out onto the road. It's been a tough economic year in the life of Southeast Michigan and lives of families like the Eggenberger. So if you just wouldn't mind taking a second and praying with me as we send uh, John out to um, help find a way to provide for his family and just asking that will you continue to surround Maggie and the kids as they keep the home fires burning. Would you just pray with me for a moment? God, we thank you. We thank you that you bring people into our lives at just the right moment. And I know that uh, Maggie and John would say that they have received more than they have given, and Lord, those of us here in this church would testify that that simply is not true. We thank you for the way that you have continued to be a blessing to them and they a blessing to us. And as they prepare for this moment of uh, um, new beginnings in the life of their family, we pray that you would continue to surround them with angels, angels in heaven and especially those here on earth who will help walk this journey with them. Go with them. Strengthen them and their family in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we love you both. You got kids in that Sunday school, don't you? Yeah. You don't got them duct taped to the wall, do you? All right. Good. All right. Thanks, buddy. You okay? Yep. Good. Hey, do me a favor. Would you turn to somebody you're sitting next to and say, I'm holding on for dear life? All right. got to say it like you mean it. We're holding on for dear life here. Turn to somebody and say, I'm holding on. For dear life. (laughs) Holding on for dear life. I'm holding on for dear life. As you know, last week um, we got away, uh, or was it last week or the week before, we got away for a, a couple of days. We went up north uh, um, with the boys and up there in northern Michigan, it's funny, we um, uh, used uh, um, Dick and uh, um, Chris mazie 's house and Casey thinks that house is up north. You know, we'll be in town and go, we're we going back to up north, that's her house. He's pretty sure that up north is one house uh, on, on a river. It's not a region. It's one place. But um, we go into these uh, little towns during the day, and we look for playgrounds, playgrounds to play in. And there in Atlanta, Michigan, we found one of those old-fashioned playgrounds. You know, the kind of playgrounds they don't have anymore? The kind of playgrounds they had when we were kids, the kind of playgrounds that have those toys that now, as a parent, I know why they don't have anymore, <laughs> Right? They had a merry-go-round. Remember the merry-go-round, right? I've got Casey, he didn't know what it was. He's never seen one before, right? So I'm like, come on, let's get in the merry-go-round. I put him in the middle of that thing and I whipped it around and he held on. (laughs) He held on for dear life. And then he got on that swing and I don't know about, uh, you, but when you remember when you're swinging with, uh, with a kid, you, you push them and they want to go higher, but the higher they get, the more afraid they get. So they don't know what to do. They both like the excitement and the fear. So the higher he gets, the more you can see the knuckles grip the chains. And then the teeter-totter. Lord have mercy, how are any of us still alive? Right? I mean, the teeter-totter is a death trap. It really is a death trap, right? I mean, uh, uh did... There he was, holding on, holding on for dear life. You know, this next four weeks, we're using some rock climbing imagery to talk about what it means to hold on, what it means to climb the, the life of faith, what it means to get a grip, something we can hold on to. Has anyone ever been rock climbing before? right? You've been rock climbing, right? I've been once, and that was enough, okay? It wasn't even real rocks. It was like a fake wall, a, a pretend wall out in the, at a, some community event or whatever, and, uh, you know, here's the deal. I, I was uh, scared out of my mind climbing that, that wall um, because, you see, when you're my size, you make an agreement with gravity, right? I don't mess with you You don't mess with me, right? But here I am, climbing this rock wall, and I was holding on for dear life. And then I slipped, and I fell off the wall, and I began to free fall. But here's the thing, if you are rock climbing, there is somebody else who's there to help you. They're called the belayer. And they're the person who stands at the bottom of the rock wall. They, too, have a rope tied around them. And their job is to hold on to you for dear life. And although I would fall, I would only fall so far. Somebody was there to catch me. Somebody was holding on to my dear life. You know, we hold on. We hold on to things. There are so many things we hold on to for dear life. The things we hold on to for dear life are the fragile things of life. My mother had this vase. It was her great-grandmother's vase. We weren't allowed to touch it. Fragile things. Things you hold on to for dear life. Like fragile kids. Hold on for dear life. Don't let go of my hand. You could get hit here. Or hurt here. Or lost here. Hold on, Son. Hold on. Don't let go. We hold on to things for dear life. Fragile things. Things like fragile dreams. And sometimes we hold on to our fragile faith. We hold on to it for dear life. Here's the thing about holding on to things for dear life. That's a white-knuckle, fearful experience. Gripping so tight, so that the things we care about the most never slip through the palm of our hands. So we hold on. We hold on for dear life. But holding so tightly, with such a grip, living in that fear of those things that we care so much about that they might slip through our reach, holding on so tightly. (laughs) Ah, you know, if you've ever tried to live like that, that's no way to live at all. Holding on for dear life. Try something different this time. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm holding on to dear life. Say it again. I'm holding on to dear life. One little word. Holding on for dear life. Holding on to dear life. One word, one little word, one little shift of a phrase, and I believe this morning that that little difference makes all the difference in the world. You see, what the life of faith ought to teach us isn't about holding on for dear life, White-knuckled and fearful. But what the life of faith ought to teach us is how to hold on to dear life. Gentle and grateful. I'm nearly 40. I'm at that halfway point of my journey. And it's about that point in your life you start to figure out what dear life really is. It's that time in your life when you figure out who, who is dear to you. Oh, and I hope they know. And it's that time in your life when you start to figure out what is dear to you. And I think I finally know. It takes a while. For me, it took almost 40 years. But I figured it out, for me, what it means to hold on to dear life and not just hold on for dear life. They call it the fire test. If your house was on fire, and you had one chance to go back in knowing you'd be safe. Paul's back there saying, Pastor, don't tell everyone ever to go back in to a burning house. All right? That's our fireman back there. I can see him going, I hate the burning house example. All right? Tell the fireman to go back in and find it. Um, if the house is on fire, everybody you love is out and safe. You got one chance. To go back in. What are you going in for? Whatever it is that comes across your mind right now tells you what is dear in your life. In my 10 years of ministry, whenever I ask someone that question, I've yet to have somebody say, I'm going back in for the TV. I'm going back in to clean out the refrigerator. (laughs) You say, I'm going back in to get the picture albums. I'm going back in to get that box of the art my kids have made. I'm going back in to get that wedding ring of my mother's that sits on the dresser. The fire test tells us what what dear life is all about. Have you figured it out yet? For yourself, what dear life really is and what is worth holding on to, what is worth not letting go of, what the content of dear life is. Friends, figure it out. Don't let it be a heart attack. That makes you figure out what dear life is all about. Don't let it be a cancer diagnosis. Don't let it be an empty chair next year at Christmas dinner. Let Don't let those forces force the issue upon your life. Make sure you get clear about what dear life really is. His name was Glenn Addis. He and his wife and his three children had been a missionary family in China. Under the threat of gun, they were told they had 24 hours to leave China. Pack your bags, be on the airport tomorrow, and we will send you back. Be out of here. And you've got 200 pounds that you can take with you. They went back to their house and in that 24 hours began to quickly sort through all of the things that they had. A missionary family, a preacher family. There was that vase of their mothers. They wanted to make sure that that came back with them. There was the typewriter. This was in the 60s when typewriters were still a rare and expensive thing. They wanted to make sure they brought the typewriter home with them. Any of you kids who don't know what a typewriter is, ask your mom when you get home. She'll tell you. Put the typewriter in. He's a preacher. We preachers have more books than we've got anything else. So he wanted to bring his books, at least his important books. They weighed the bags, 200 pounds on the dot. They showed up 24 hours later at the airport. They walked up to the soldier, said, Here... Here's our bags, 200 pounds on the dot. And then the soldier said, Did you weigh the children? All the rest of it became trash in a minute. Typewriters, books, vases, all of it could be left behind. To figure out... What's worth holding on to? Our Scripture this morning tells us a story about holding on. What's worth holding on to? It comes from the Gospels. Hear this story. This familiar story. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while He dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone. But by the time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, Jesus came walking towards them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered Him, Lord, if it is You, command me to go out onto the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and grabbed him, saying, You of little faith, why do you doubt? Leave the rocks and the mountains behind for a moment and go to that seaside. Where Jesus tells His twelve disciples to go out, to get into the boat, to go to the other side, to go to a place they'd never been before, to live life like they'd never lived it before, to risk leaving behind all that they knew. There is no surprise that in the middle of such a transition, a storm would brew out. In the midst of that storm, they see one that appears to be Jesus walking towards them on the water. They cry out, Lord, is that you? Jesus says, it is I. Peter says, if it's you, command me to get out of the boat and walk towards you. Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk towards the Lord. And what happens? He begins to slip. He begins to stumble. He begins to sink. And so he cries out, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches out and grabs hold of him. Here's what Peter discovered, friends, that would be good for us to discover too. That sometimes in reaching out to grab onto anything for dear life, we end up holding on to that which is dearest in life. You see, Peter wanted Jesus to save his life in the moment, but what he didn't realize is he was grabbing a hold of the one who would save his life for all eternity. You see, when Jesus grabs hold of you, He's not going to let go. So whether it's in the moment of slipping and stumbling when the storms are raging around us that we call out and say, Lord, will you grab hold of me? Jesus will hold on to us so that that moment of holding on for dear life becomes a lifetime of holding on to dear life. Can I be honest with you for a moment? We can't hold on to everything we used to be able to hold on to. Life, especially here in southeast Michigan, no longer allows for that. You know it. Most of you know it better than I do. These economic times have changed. And they're hard. And we've had to let go of some things. We've had to let go of the cars we wanted to drive or the vacations we've wanted to take. We've had to let go of some of the clothes we've wanted to buy or the toys we've wanted to earn. Too many people living right here in our own community have had to let go of the homes that they have dumped so much of their life into. We haven't been able to hold on to all of the things we've used to be able to hold on to. Some of us have had to let go of dreams. Dreams of what life would look like. Dreams of what it would be like when we could retire. Dreams of what retirement might look like. Dreams of being able to leave our kids with a certain amount of money when life was over. Dreams about the kind of jobs we would have. The dream that if we did our job and did it well and it would be there to hold us. We've had to let go of so many of those things. And these have been hard times. But maybe there's been one gift in the midst of all of this letting go. So maybe it's forced us to figure out what's worth holding on to, what really matters. It has taught us what to cut back first and where to cut back last. It has taught us what is really dear to us. Friends, this church, the church, we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we are here to grab you when you're fallen. We're here to reach out and grab you when you're fallen, to lend a hand when you feel like you're drowning. This is the place to grab hold of when you feel like there's nowhere left to hang on to for dear life. And I promise you, if you grab on to this place, you'll discover it's worth holding on to. I've only been here a short time only been your pastor for a little over a year, let me tell you about this place. This place, Redford Aldersgate, this is dear life right here. I wish you could watch what I see, the way you love each other. The way you care for each other. The way you, in quiet ways, reach out to grab each other when you feel like you're slipping and when you feel like you're falling. But more than that, you don't just love each other. You love this community around you in ways that are generous and unexplainable in times as tight as these. I suppose it's possible to take from the church without taking responsibility for the church. It's probably the only place left in the world where you can do that. In fact, the gospel allows it. If you need it, take it. Give it no thought. That's what it's here for. My only question to you this morning is this this church, the body of Christ. It's been here when you've needed something to hold on to. Will we make sure that it's here for the next guy who needs it? Friends, some things, some things you just don't want to let go of.